Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's Clive and Bundy of a TV show, A Game of Thrones. With me, as always, is Brian. How are you doing, Brian? Doing good tonight. How are you, Douglas? Uh, fairly well, considering the weekend I just had. Uh, it's pretty Terrific. wild. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of debauchery. But you should be doing it at your age. <clears throat> Absolutely not. My body is not made for it. Um. Yeah, that's it. Nothing funny. <laughs> Okay. insightful just, just facts all right um so uh tonight we are talking about dark wings dark words uh that is episode two of season three um i don't know uh this this episode seems somewhat forgettable um i don't know i think it's pretty middle of the road i really don't have my initial thoughts aren't too um mind-blowing um it's not bad once again it's not a bad episode kind of like last week but not great Thoughts? I did like this episode a lot, and it was primarily the character-driven episode, uh, the interactions. Um, We first meet the uh, Queen of Thorns, and that scene with her and Sansa is incredible. Uh, There's also the the final closing scene. I thought it was one of the best scenes in the series. Um, So, But then, of course, in the middle of it is maybe the worst episode of the series, the Tyrion and... um, it's Shacy, which is just awful. But I like this episode because of the, of the characters and some of the scenes in this in the show. Yeah, and it's, so. that seems to be a theme. Just over two episodes, we meet people that are going to be uh, with us for for years. We we just met yeah. the Queen of Thorns. Uh, we meet uh, Ramsey. Um, yep. Uh, and I forgot who we met. Um, uh, Tormund Stansbane last week. So this is all sorts of like. Um, Jojen and Mira. Yeah, like uh, lots of stuff's happening. Yeah. It's it's setting up a lot yeah. more into the bigger world, so that's exciting, at least from uh, our hindsight perspective. But whatever, it's it's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I'm so not saying ep- it's bad. the episode title, I thought the episode title was a reference to Darkwing Duck, but apparently it's not. That's um, weird. Darkwing, Dark, <laughs> Dark Wars is an old saying, apparently, when a messenger raven arrives, it's uh, usually an urgent message, and that's typically not good. So this is apparently an old saying that I, that was never repeated during the show, I don't think, but I looked yeah. it up to see what the heck it meant. It's kind of like, you know, I guess, think back when telegrams were a thing. You remember telegrams. And I guess they were probably sure. just really expensive, or it's a big trouble to send a message. So, you know, not every time it's going to be good news. And usually if somebody's sending you uh, something that requires so much of a resource or limited resource, like I guess a raven, it's important yes. and more likely it's going to be negative. So um, no news is good news, I think, is a counterpart to Dark Wings, Dark Words. Um, but Probably. Like, that, yes, good point. Good. But I like your Dark yeah. Wing Duck um, <laughs> analogy as well. I think that's, that's great. <laughs> That show is awesome. All right, so let's launch into it. Uh, we open to Bran, and he is dreaming that he can run. He is chasing the three-eyed raven. He attempts to shoot the raven uh, while dreaming, and his bros are kind of giving it advice. It's, I guess, kind of a dream flashback type thing because it's uh, the exact scene, I think the first episode of Winterfell, uh, where oh, yeah. Bran and uh, or uh, Rob, yeah, Rob and Theon are giving him so shit. So the show's already and, getting uh, nostalgic, and it's only been uh, two seasons. Yeah. Yes. So Gojin appears, or Jojin, and he says that uh, he can't kill the raven because the raven is Bran. Bran awakens to Hodor saying Hodor. Uh, Bran speaks to Osha about his dreams, but she's not interested. Uh, she has some real concerns about where they are and how they need to get moving, and she's also very worried about black magic. She's uh, more concerned. I guess 
and they brought it up a little bit, but she seems very superstitious. I think that's part of the uh, of living north of the walls. You actually see these things in, in in her actual life, and so they discuss how they need to skedaddle, and because um, they're doing a really shitty job of hiding out in the middle of a field. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of the end of the scene. Yeah, yeah, a couple of things. Uh, yeah. just just starting with the end and moving backwards. Um, there's something that I was listening to another podcast that's actually breaking down the books. And they draw a distinction between the two things that Bran's got going on. One thing is warging and going into Ghost and seeing through his wolf. And they made that as clear distinction from talking to the three-eyed raven. And they did that even in the show, too, where Jojen's like, that's something else. That's something different. Um, and then we get mm-hmm. that later. So there's two separate things. And it seems like Osha is uh, familiar with the warging part of things, but she is... She calls it black magic or something at some point uh, when he mentions right. the three-eyed raven. So she's drawing a distinction there as well. And I never thought that distinction was uh, noticeable or I, I really didn't take note of it. But it seems like it's two separate things. And that's a lot of nerd magic to, <laughs> to get into being like, okay, so the one of the guys yeah. that we know is magical has two different kinds of magics. Uh, that's a little much upon first reading or second or third reading and second viewing of this uh, TV show. And we have so we have so limited information about what either of those magics are. It's uh, it's kind of confusing at this point. Which brings me to my next point. I guess this is significant because this plays a bigger role in the story, but we don't still don't know what Bran's role in the story is. She defines. Um, well, I think it's. I don't want to allude to another scene, but they they break down what a greed singer does, or uh, and I I and it's mainly seeing. The past, present, in the past, the future, and the present in in over long distances, and I just still don't see how just that information gathering, if that's all it is, is going to come into the main story, unless it can uh, brain can affect things in a more direct way. Yeah, I don't have any clue. That's one of the things I'm most interested in the show as it goes forward. Yeah, just the mystery. Though. So I, I was wondering why. why she... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Why is she so surly in this scene? I, I didn't. She seemed really upset. Maybe she's not a morning person, but I don't know. I think it was the black magic. I think that's at least that's what I uh, wrote down in my notes. She seemed to take a turn uh, when he started talking about um, the three eyed raven. But maybe that was just me. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's. Yeah. Whatever. Okay, so where do we go next, Doug? All right, so uh, Talissa and Rob are hanging out at Heron Hall. I guess it's. That's just where they're they're at now. And uh, Talissa comments about how she was told stories about how brutal the bearded men of Westeros were and uh, some bullshit nonsense anyway. It's rattling on and it's all like foreplay and they start to get close and they're about to make out again, I think. I don't remember. But Bolton just barges in and gives uh, them information that Catelyn's dad is dead and also that everyone in Winterfell has been killed uh, before the bastard of Bolton could get there. Yeah, Kat's not having a good day. She's not um, having a good that's run for sure. in general, no. <laughs> no. This has been a bad few weeks for her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a lot to say about the scene. I'm kind of sick of Rob and Talisa. Yeah, me too. Mainly because we know what such a bad decision it is in retrospect. I think they're in the show when initial watching didn't bother me quite as much. Um, but in retrospect, it just said it's such a uh, shitty decision, as we've discussed uh, ad nauseum multiple times. So what I don't, what I don't get, the big question mark here, I think, and I believe it's discussed during the scene, is 
they know that everybody in Winterfell was taken captive, but there's no. They said there's no sign of the boys, Bran and Rickon. So what the fuck is that about? Do you think that Bolton's reserving that information, um, or maybe they don't know? Oh yeah, it should know that the boys were burned. But I guess if it's uh, if it's whoever's stumbling upon uh, Winterfell, they, they might, might not, not know. know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That does seem like a bit of an information disconnect. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. I guess ruminate on it. Let's just go forward. But, um, but yeah, I thought that was weird. Yeah, if I had a theory to offer, I'd offer it. I just don't know. I, that's that's a yeah, good. I point. don't have a theory once again because it's all show invention bullshit. So I'm willing to just go past it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it also to me does it seem silly for Rob to leave? I I don't know why to or to head back to the 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 funeral. I mean, this uh, this all stuff seems really critical. Uh, the actual war itself. I mean, the, you can mourn the dead, but I don't know that the dead really need your respect, your your personal respects when you're in the middle of a fucking war. You know that involves the fate of your your entire family. Yeah, I agree, but I guess it's this political campaign that he's playing at the same time. Just like having to marry a fray, um, you know, it's just it seems like a political move because uh, the Riverland people, the Tullys are fighting for Rob. Um, so he owes yeah. them something for all their troops. It, you know what I mean? You'd think on the surface it'd just be their loyal fighters. Are you loyal to me? Then you're going to fight for me. End of story. But it seems like it's more than that. Like, you're loyal to me, so... Uh, but just to concrete this deal, I'll marry one of your daughters so I can get across your yeah. bridge and you give me your fucking army. So there, there does seem to be a quid pro quo, or maybe it's expected of him. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. So next we go to Theon, and he has apparently been captured. Uh, he's beginning his Theon to Reek transformation. Um, there are some unknown men torturing him. Uh, pretty gross. I, I, I didn't. I couldn't pay that close of attention. I just can't stand the torture aspect of the show. Um, you know, it's funny in my job. Sometimes I actually have to look at kind of gross stuff. People who have been injured. You know, I can, I can actually handle it in reality, but for whatever reason, when it's in fiction, I guess maybe it's because I don't have to look at it. I just can't stand it. So I don't get people like, for instance, the Saul movies. But um, so yeah, wasn't but, much well, of this scene. Just dumb. Um, but yeah, I, I want to say that this is it's I thought it was funny because this is like traditional torture. And yeah. like <laughs> from what Theon's in store for and what Ramsey likes, this is like, you know, like torture 101 like if you were a freshman in college and you took torture as a class this is the kind of shit you'd you'd be you'd be exposed to you know you know na- needles under fingernails driving a screw to somebody's leg that's or a foot that's kind of like basic yeah. stuff uh, right. but what Ramsey's going to bring is this next level of psychological or emotional abuse um he's about to get get a masters in this shit exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> other than that I really didn't have much to say about this scene okay neither did I Okay, so now we go to follow the Jamie and Brienne show. They're walking through the countryside, uh, and they talk about uh, Brienne's service to Catelyn, and uh, Brienne gets to see Jamie P. Uh, Jamie learns that Brienne uh, had allegiance to Renly, uh, part of his Rainbow Guard or whatever, Kingsguard, and that she had a crush, infers that, uh, or gets the gist that she had a crush on him. Um but Jamie knows he's gay, as does everyone else, it seems, like the worst-kept secret ever. And we are treated to the line, it's a shame the throne isn't made out of cocks. They would never <laughs> get him off it. That, um, that, that line made me laugh. So, <laughs> yeah, I will say this. Uh, we, 
the show does make some awful, uh, you know, awful, uh, you know, sexual joke. homophobic jokes, sexual violence, and this is by no means not homophobic. It's just funny still. Like um, it's amusing. I I laughed as well, and I maybe I felt a little bad about doing it, but um, it was funny and it was well delivered by uh, Jamie. So. So anyway, they're walking along. They see a lonely farmhand that he greets them and makes fun of Brienne for being, you know, a woman and, and being huge or whatever. And then he quickly moves on. Jamie thinks he recognizes him and thinks it was a good idea to kill him. But Brienne disagrees and they move on. You know, obviously a mistake. I mean, we know this show it's, even by now. Yeah, a few things I would <laughs> thought about this scene. There's a really funny shot of her watching him pee from the side. She was peeping that dong yeah. hard. Yeah. Well, it looked like she was staring at him in the eyes so hard that she was trying to like, you ever look straight ahead so hard because you're trying to look at your periphery? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're like, oh, I don't want to look. I don't want to look. I don't want to look. And then you're trying to like look out of your side eye without actually physically pointing your eyes in that direction. That's what, that's yeah. the gist I got. Yeah, I like this scene. Um, Jamie's still kind of being annoying, um, but he did have the very humanizing line. Uh, we don't get to choose who we love at the end of it. So, uh, you know, I think it, it, this seemed to be, I think in the books where you kind of started to really uh, think that he's more than just a complete piece of shit. But of course, we know he continues to remain a piece of shit. But that was a good line. I wonder if that line was from the books. Um, I, I don't understand what her plan is. I continue to not understand it. She is just so conspicuous. Why does she have it on like a fucking cloak or something? Or I mean, anything to kind of make it not look like she's this giant woman in pretty fancy armor. I don't get it. Yeah, or just a helmet. You know, she's going to yeah. wear like 100 pounds of armor. Might as well just have the helmet. But this is TV and we have to see their emotions. Ooh. Yeah. You'd never know that she was a woman if she had a helmet on. Right. You can barely tell she's a woman even without the helmet right. because... She's got short hair, and I'm sure half these people can't see for shit because there's no eyeglasses or optometry back then. <laughs> um, and then, so even the here, like with this, the, the last thing with this farmer, it's even more of like a thing where why didn't they just take a different path or slightly change the change their appearance? Or I mean, so like many this questions. Guy, like this. walked, just like snuck up on him somehow with his donkey going through. Yeah. Like he's like not taking the king's road, huh? And they weren't, and he wasn't taking the king's road either. So you might have been like, well, what are you doing? I don't know. Yeah, you know he's up to some shady shit. So right, exactly. I don't know. So I think you can't trust the you, you can't trust the thief or you know somebody who's doing shady shit in general. I don't know. It just seems odd. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm drilling down too much on it. But um, when I when I don't write the summary of the scene, then I just start looking for the minutia. And sometimes of course, to, yeah, you got to contribute yeah, yeah. somehow. I got so, it. So all right. So next we go to Joff, and he is being fitted while Cersei watches and flatters him. Weird. Joff is upset about flowers. Yeah, I don't understand this. I've never uh, <laughs> been fitted for clothing in front of my mother. Um, Cersei's uh, Cersei had a great line where uh, the fitting the person fitting uh, Joff hands him a piece of fabric, and Cersei says yeah. something along the lines of that may be enough for Marjorie's wedding dress. And yeah, it's exactly. It's like great just line. petty, weird, uh, jealous bullshit. It's funny. Yeah. So Cersei and Joffrey discuss the match. Well, uh, Joffrey thinks this is an ideal match because the Tyrell plus the Lannisters will just wreck. We also know that the Tyrells are pretty much propping up the Lannisters through the provision of food at this point. And I think I think we've also know that the Lannisters are lower on money than um, than they once were. They, they used to shit gold, but I don't know that they're shitting gold any longer. Um, Cersei has some uh, some concerns about Marjorie's charity. But Joff tells her tells her that she's being boring. 
Um, Cersei essentially tries to say that Marjorie's bad news. She's ambitious. She's attempting to manipulate Joff, while Joff responds that woman should be seen and not heard, <laughs> and <laughs> they're supposed to do what they are told. I enjoyed this because this continues the schism between Joff and Cersei. Yeah. And I like how Cersei, it's really uh, comes back on Cersei that she is this manipulative piece of shit. And she's done this to the kid and now it's going to burn her. I mean, it's kind of poetic yeah. justice. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that came across big time. Uh, but I, I also liked about this scene too, is they set up Joffrey, at least in the scene, as the adult in the room. Because she was very petty about Marjorie, and I just don't like her kind of a thing. And he's just like, listen, we got to do this. Like, he was just very short with her, and she's going on and on, basically whining. Yeah. She's doing the whining in this situation, and he's, um, you know, he just seemed more like he was taking the uh, uh, the high road here. Or also looking at the realities of the situation. <clears throat> right, well. yeah. They need the Tyrells a lot more than the Tyrells need their dumbasses. Right. So um, I think he yeah. gets that. And uh, it's just funny that Cersei doesn't. She's, you know, pissing and moaning about. Uh, yeah, she's younger and more beautiful than me. And now she's got control over you. Right. Um, and I did like that this scene also kind of pays off at, at the, towards the end of the episode with the last scene where Cersei apparently has planted some seed of doubt. And we'll, we'll get to that scene that plays out later. Marjorie's unable, unable, uh, able to just um, turn around and manipulate that right out of there. Do uh, some interesting techniques. So, all right. So uh, now we get uh, Sansa. She's chatting with uh, Shay, her handmaid, and Shay says the little finger is uh, only helping her uh, to get that poonanny. Uh, Shay, for some reason, gets super overprotective of Sansa now, just like she was of Tyrion, and saying, "I won't let him hurt you," or some not such nonsense. Uh, Laura shows up to ask Sansa to meet with Large Marge and her uh, grandma, and Sansa's, Sansa's gaydar is even worse than Brienne's because she doesn't know, can't get it off of Laura. She's in love. Um, and she asks um, uh, Loras on the way to meeting Marge and her grandma about the time. And actually, let's, uh, before we go to that, okay, thing, sure. let's uh, make the comments about that. See between Shay and Sansa. This is actually I was kind of like Shay in the scene because she is uh, the the world weariness or at least the street smart show up here. But Sansa doesn't believe her at all. It seems like, and that that seems odd because I, it seemed like there was a bond developing between the two, and I think that it's been communicated to Sansa by Shay that Shay knows this shit and Shay's looking out for her. And it's kind of uh, odd. I thought how Sansa just kind of dismissed that out of hand and just completely trust Littlefinger where. At this point, she has to spend twenty times more of her time with 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 Shay, you know. I, so I, I'm not sure I understand. I mean, besides Sansa being naive and swept up in royalty and all that that stuff, I, I don't know. I don't know how she's not actually seeing that Littlefinger's a fucking creep with with Shay in her ear on top of it. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I see your point. Like, I see how it works from a story perspective, but I don't uh, think that she's just not. It seems like she's not thinking about it, which seems odd. I would think I wouldn't trust anybody after my dad had been murdered in front of me, but that's just me. Uh, but to just accept Littlefinger out of hand seems a little strange. Uh, yeah. Or at least not even entertain. Because like, she seems like being like willfully against even hearing anything negative about uh, Littlefinger. So you're right. Seems a little yeah. strange. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> okay. So now we're on the way? So now we're on their way, and like I said, Sansa's Gadar is awful. He's trying to hit on the um, the gay knight, uh, Loras. And asks about the time that he brought her a red rose, and he's like, "Yes, of course I did." Anyway, um, 
soon as he gets her there, he's bamooses. Um, and we get to finally meet the Queen of Thorns, who just talks shit about everyone. Uh, basically, she is of the mind that the, all the men are idiots, and it's up to the women to tend to the important matters. Um, so that's why Marjorie, and as you can tell, Marjorie is basically like the number two in command uh, of the Tyrell family now, or at least she's being groomed that way by the um, by the Queen of Thorns. Um, and she basically asks Sansa her honest opinion about Joffrey. We've heard a lot of terrible rumors. And she keeps pressuring Sansa. Sansa, you know, is towing the party line. But eventually she says, Joffrey's a monster. <clears throat> and then and then uh, the Queen of Thorns is like, oh, that's a pity. And then she seems relatively unconcerned and uh, enjoys her cheese. Yeah. yeah, Loris kind of looks like a dipshit, like a stoner cousin type dude. Yeah, oh yeah, he's yeah. he would yeah. definitely be a surfer uh, today. Right. Lady Olena, uh, in the hierarchy of best characters on the show, I, I think she's got to be the top three. Yeah. Um, along with uh, uh, Lysa Mormont, I think, is up there. And then probably Mace is the third. I, I, uh, I like Tywin, too. I mean, like seeing Tywin and oh, the Queen yeah, of Thorns yeah. talk was pretty great. Um, yeah. I enjoyed that scene when we get to it. I think it's during Joffrey's wedding. Yeah. Two other quick things. Uh, Marjorie's face during the scene was incredible. The transition between the she's being sweet and manipulative to try to get Cersei to talk or Sansa to talk. And then when she does, you just see her face like fall because she's got the information. She's not like as concerned, it's completely manipulative. It's a great. Um, but then the the thing that you, you said earlier is that that uh, I kind of wrote down something about this, that Marjorie is being groomed for being the number two. And Olena, I guess, is the you're, you're portraying or thinking of her as the family leader. Yes. But during this scene, they kind of talked about how Mace was the driving force behind the marriage between the Lannisters and the Tyrells. Like I think that Mace kind of <clears throat> he's the puppet, kind of being manipulated by uh, the Queen of Thorns because he is on paper the the patriarch, but she's trying to control him and steer him the best she can from her position. I would think. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. That's just so my, next, uh, that's not based on any fact. That's just based on the gist I get. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I always felt that they were, that, that Lady Olena was running the family, but at the same time, it, I thought what she said during this scene made it seem like they were not sure about whether this marriage should go forward, but they didn't really have a choice because Mace was just pushing this thing along. And I so. just want to make another comment that you have mentioned, uh, the acting chops of Natalie Dormer before this. Um, yeah, I think in season six. So here you are saying it again, and I think it's totally subjective. I don't think you're trying to get a date out of her um, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure she listens to this podcast. But <laughs> yeah. but I, I will say, like, you know, I don't pay attention to it. Um, but, you know, and I think it's just because acting in general is pretty good on the show. I will say that. Uh, I think the, the script kind of suffers, but I think the acting is overall Pretty high quality on this show, so I don't notice it unless you have a really bad actor like Shay. Um, oh yeah. So, uh, but I, I will, I'll echo your kudos and say, yeah, she's a she's a pretty good actress. Yeah, some of these people have abilities to use their faces to convey things. Um, that's kind of when I notice acting, like, and I, no, I don't know anything about acting, but that's when I notice somebody changing between multiple different faces in the same scene to reflect what you think that their emotion would be in that instant. It usually stands out to me, and she's good at it. Danny's good at it. There's a few other people that are good at it. But then again, 
some of the people were completely stone faced throughout the thing, like Tywin. You go, okay, that yeah. guy's a good, good actor. So, all subjective. So, mm-hmm. so next we go to the uh, moon of Endor, and it's a march from Rob's forces to the uh, to the grandfather's funeral. Uh, Lord, he's speaking to Lord Karstark, and Lord Karstark thinks it's a terrible idea, and he's absolutely right. Um, Karstark says that the battle was lost the day he married Talisa. Talisa comes upon Cat making a, a, a nightmare catcher, I guess. <laughs> I, <laughs> the wrote, opposite I wrote of a dream a, catcher. I wrote a dream catcher, the seven edition. <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite. It's the nightmare <laughs> catcher. Uh, they have a discussion. Talisa tries to spend some quality time with Cat, her new mother-in-law, but uh, she Cat is giving Talisa the cold shoulder, gives her the Jon Snow treatment. So then Cat uh, discusses how. She's made nightmare catchers for her other kids. Um, seems to soften up a little bit, or maybe just become uh, a little more self-pitying. Uh, she gives a whole long soliloquy about how much she hated Jon Snow, wanted him dead, but that he fell ill. Then she prayed to bring him back to health, and he did. But she, by promising that she would then uh, love him, but she was never able to make good on her praises. Um, so it's kind of the. Oh yeah, and, and it's still the this every scene with this Jon Snow thing just brings back the same thing to my mind. It's not, you know why didn't Ned just <laughs> say it's not mine, baby? You gotta believe me. You yeah. Know? <clears throat> yeah, eventually, like I said, maybe not right away. Right, ten years old, say it. You know, uh, I don't know. Um, there's some that defend Ned not doing it by, you know, he got all up in a ruckus when um, Robert was trying to kill Danny. That was one of the things, you know, that's how, like, Ned, that's why Ned left the handhood or whatever. He left his office of Hand of the King when right. he wanted to kill Danny. So, obviously, he was thinking more about Jon Snow in that situation. So, there's a good chance that if, if word would have gotten back to Robert, uh, Jon Snow's life would have been in danger. But at the same time, you got to tell your fucking wife. Just say, you know, a press upon her. Maybe go, the hand goes to the sword when you tell her. Now you'll never tell anybody, but this is not my son. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's also uh, very solipsistic that she blames this entire state of affairs on her not loving Jon Snow. Yeah, she's very self-absorbed. She's but, like, I, I used to wear my lucky socks every day, and yeah. I didn't wear my lucky socks, and my child got sick. What? Just all yeah. superstitious bullshit. Right. Um, it just and it's the story's long drawn out, and I don't see how it's a bonding experience between the two characters. Like, obviously, Catelyn is being weak, and she does a great job with this story. I felt, and I did take note of her acting. She sold this, but I thought you this, trying to bang her. Uh, if she listens to the podcast, I would love one. I'm, she's on my list, <laughs> so my wife okay. will understand my short list. Anyway, um, yeah, I just I didn't I didn't understand the story. Or what it was supposed to do besides show Catelyn's vulnerability to Talisa and have them get closer, I guess, by the shared experience about how awful of a mother Catelyn is. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess that's it. I don't, I don't know what else the scene was. And I'm not sure what the not sure what this entire scene was, but I didn't have a problem with it. it it's fine. Once again, I didn't hate yeah. it. All right. So, uh Mance and John are walking along with their army, and Mance is complaining about how hard it is to be in charge. I feel like we've heard this like speech from like ten people already. Um, says he told everyone that they would die if they didn't get south. That's how he was able to rally all these different, um, uh, you know, fraction factions that were uh, in the north. Um, John meets another warg uh, named Orel, 
And this guy can see through and control animals. Orel can see through a eagle. And um, Orel reports that he's seen the Fist of the four First Men and he saw a lot of dead crows. Um, and that's it for this scene. So I noticed Matt said that he had wildling blood in his veins, which I thought was bullshit because he actually came out from up in the south, right? No, actually, he, he did have a uh, wildling mom, I think. I think he was like a bastard son of and i'm going to just make a guess here i don't remember this i know his mother was a wildling uh but his father oh. might have been a night's watchman oh okay well then that makes a lot more sense um and i realized during this scene what bothered me when i was complaining last episode about everyone has the same uniform is because it doesn't show the different tribes you know we yeah, have here all right. these different tribes yeah he's we're complaining the about all these disparate things but yeah they all look the same so how are you yes. how's that conveyed at all it isn't right no, uh, it's still odd that they're trusting John so quickly. He's all of a sudden a right-hand man. Um, and also, Egret does this thing in this episode that's annoying trope in, in a lot of TV shows and in this show. The thing where, like, he's never seen a giant. Why the fuck has he seen a war? Like, she sneers about him. Something that Southern men probably wouldn't like. I just, I never liked that. Never seen a war before, you idiot. You know, well, John uh, probably has never seen a redhead besides his mom and sister. I don't, like, yeah. he, probably, he hasn't seen shit. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what was <laughs> really annoying about this scene is that dude, uh, the Worgen guy, knows more about the fight at the Fist of the First Men than we do. Yeah, exactly. We didn't see any <laughs> dead guy. All we saw was that one dead guy. Yep, Frustrating. exactly. Yeah, yep. I, I agree with you 100%. All right. So uh, next we go to the Fist uh, fight. Yeah, Fist fight survivors uh, trekking back. <laughs> I like that Fist fight. Let's refer <laughs> yeah. to that going forward. Yep. Uh, Rast is taunting Sam. Um, we know that, of course, we know how big of a piece of shit Rast is eventually. Um, Sam collapses and Pip and Grant attempt to help him. Sam is fat and he cries that they left him to die uh, because he's fat and slow. They didn't also want to die. They just kind of shrugged their shoulders and walked away, uh, <laughs> which I thought was appropriate. Um, Mormont intervenes and forbids Tarly from dying, assigns Rast and the gang to help him. Uh, Rast calls him Piggy, but it's not like Rast is Patrick Swayze circa Dirty Dancing himself or anything. Um, so I guess we're led to believe that they are going to help these guys, or these guys are going to help uh, Sam make it back to the King's Watch. Yeah, I wrote the same thing. I go, besides a haircut in a few years, I can't tell Rast and Sam apart. Yeah, not really. No. But uh, yeah, it's just ridiculous. And I don't get Rast's motivation. Like, who cares? Like, the people that hated, uh, there was a guy who hated Sam in the books, but that's because Sam took his goddamn job. It wasn't because he was just, <laughs> he just hated fat people so much. Oh God, I hate fat people. They took away my job. Well, like that makes more sense if somebody stole your job as opposed to somebody just being fat and not having any direct impact on your life. Um, Self-loathing probably. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's a self-hating thing. You know, people say, mm. you know, Hitler's uh, grandma was Jewish. So, you know, <laughs> There, I guess self-hate is a real thing. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I guess Rast just sees uh, in himself <laughs> Sam. It doesn't make any sense. Who cares? This is yeah. dumb. Moving on. Mm -hmm. Okay, Bran wakes up um, and is freaked out. Um, and so is at Asha. And then she, Asha goes, runs away um, to go check it out, I guess. I don't know. The Bran, uh, the other kid, who's Rickon and Hodor, nowhere around. Anyway... Um, the boy from Bran's dream shows up and Asha returns out of nowhere and holds a, a spear to his neck, but the kid's sister shows up and holds a knife to Asha's neck, forcing her to drop her weapon. 
then the boy is able to calm Summer uh, magically. Um, Brand's direwolf, and they're friends now. Um, and then he says his name is Jojen, his sister is Mira, and they've got a long journey ahead of them. Uh, even though they just had a long journey to get to Bran. So. Yeah, I, I, I like these characters a lot. Um, but I, I thought they were more interesting in the book because I don't think we get a lot of the details that say make it seem really neat in the books. Like they, these are the Cranug men and they live in um, they live in like a floating fortress in the swamp or some shit like that. And I think they actually look more like frog people. These don't necessarily look like frog people. They're a little odd looking. Yeah, I guess they, it no, works they just the look like they're like, you know, millennial Teenagers. That's all they're yeah. like. I, I don't see anything strange or alien about them at all. But yeah, there was a little big, you know, Cranic men are smaller than normal. They eat frogs. They hunt with uh, three three pronged spears. Um, <clears throat> they're said they to be, be somewhat magical, people. like almost like they're, they're not like, I don't mean they're like half frog, half human. It's more like they're probably green. Like they actually like, no. you like. <laughs> Not green, but like uh, I don't know. I, I maybe I'm just making things up in my head. I thought they were like swamp people, like you know what I mean, like somebody from the bayous of like Louisiana. That's what I imagine them, only with more magic and less, um, you know, fast food bags. Yeah, more gumbo. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, the, I, I don't. They haven't done a good job of explaining these people yet, and I don't know that they ever did. And what we do, this is the their father was the one at the Tower of Joy. Yeah, with, and we actually see uh, him. Well, I don't know if the show didn't make a point to point him out, um, right? But he was the one that survived with Ned uh, when we saw the Tower of Joy scene in season six. Yeah, and so I wanted to ask you this: Where are these powers, the the warging powers? I mean, where where are these coming from? Because uh, it seems like this is a first generation in the in a while south of the wall that has these abilities, well, or at least based on everybody's going, what the heck is going on, you know? Well, that's my, my point is when people get into the whole argument, hey, did dragons bring magic into the world, or dragons coming into the world was just another uh, symptom of magic returning, and I gotta think it's the latter, because we had this warging starting to happen, you had the, uh, I think the warging started happening before... Danny's dragons uh, were born at the end of season one. It just seems like magic in general is coming back. So things that used to be all this magic that they heard about in stories is slowly starting to return. Um, so I think gotcha. it's just part of the time. Like it's it's the age of Aquarius. So all these things kind of are they're all tied together. The return of the, the right, whites. Which, yeah, exactly. The return, return of, the, of yeah. the red priestess Melisandra. Like all this shit. Like it's it's just magic from old world magic. Uh, rekindling. I don't know. Gotcha. That makes sense. That's okay. what that's what I get from the books anyway. I don't know if the show does a good job of illustrating that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so next we go to Sansa, Hot Pie, and Gendry walking around in a forest. Gendry is... Uh, he he brings up every single show watchers and book readers complaints that uh, Arya wasted her kills on the small fish. Right. Uh, they appear lost, arguing where to go, suddenly begin to hear singing in the background, and they attempt to hide. And I believe the song that's being sung is The Reigns of Castamere, which is a... Yep. Yep, it comes up quite a it's, bit. It's one works. of the only two songs in this world. That yeah, and that, the bear and the, the bear maiden bear. fair. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they, uh, the uh, Santa, Hot Pie... I'm sorry, Arya, Hot Pie, and Gendry attempt to hide. There's a bit of a standoff. Gendry apparently wants to fight. You see him kind of swing a sword, but... Um, they they think better of it. It's apparently Thoros in the uh, Doctors Without Borders. The, the Thoros realizes that they the kids are from Harrenhal, um, and 
I don't know what I wrote here. Oh, Thoris gives them an ultimatum. Come with us just for a chat or or basically else. I guess he wants to obtain information, but I don't know. He kind of went about it an odd way. Um, yeah. So eventually the gang it's ha- agrees to go with him after a cool arrow trick by one of the uh, Doctors Without Borders. I want to say that fa- the fat shaming is strong in this episode. We have another situation yeah. where they just mercilessly make fun of somebody who's fat. And I got to think that this is just the showrunner's prerogative. Like, they must think that it's okay to have an earring and yellow teeth, but <laughs> as one of the D&Ds do. But uh, being fat, no, nah, that's deplorable. Um, yeah, the guy almost kills a small boy who's a little chubby with an arrow. Um, this whole thing is just kind of retarded um, with the arrow up in the air. Um yeah, it's a cool. I mean, it's it's a cool trick, but it's, it's still a cool just, show invention. But it's almost yes. like it breaks this kind of like. Okay, I thought we were living in reality here, um, right? Those arrows got to be made by hand. You know, you know what I mean. Like if you, it's not like they're all perfect. So That's true. They're made. They're not made in a factory where there's like science and lasers making these arrows. It's some fucking half drunk, uh, probably crippled guy who can't do anything else but make arrows. And he's probably yeah. still on the sauce. So one of those arrows might be a little bent. I don't know. Yeah, uh, and it stinks that uh, the, the the whole Doctors Without Borders, uh, they're not fully fleshed out in the show as yeah, it goes it's along. it's confusing. Yeah, because like, they, in the books there are these other sellsword gangs just running around wrecking. And, I mean, there's so many cool things that happen in the books. And they kind of give you the Cliff Notes versions of it in the show, but it loses a lot in translation. Yeah, this is confusing yeah. to me. I like, uh, you know, we don't fight for anybody in particular. We fight for the people kind of thing. Okay, that's fine, but it doesn't, it seems, it, yeah, you're right. It's not fleshed out at all, and it's it's frustrating that's still included. I guess it has to be. I don't know. Yeah. All right, so uh, we get uh, we go back to King's Landing, and Tyrion returns to his room to find, oop, Shay, and um, <sighs> yeah. And Tyrion says, like, I think he said this line, like, several times about how it's very dangerous, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, we've heard this. Yes, it's dangerous. Shay's an idiot. She's not listening. Um, She says she's worried about Littlefinger talking to Sansa. Um, Tyrion seems unconcerned. Nobody trusts Littlefinger. Um, And Shay, you know, once again, wants to be the world police and protect everyone, including Sansa and uh, Tyrion from getting hurt. Ugh, once again, just repeating the same shit over and over again. There is more repetitive talk uh, before Shay finally shuts up Tyrion by kissing his belly, I'm guessing. I don't know. And he really <laughs> seems to like it. You're an idiot. <laughs> uh, yeah, but this is an awful, like, a waste of our time. Um, can you refute that in any way? No. Uh, nope, I, I'm ready to move on, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Moving on, terrible waste yeah. of time. Yeah, and actually, uh, so this next scene is the one uh, I was referring to as, I think, one of the better scenes in, okay. the, in the show. So Marjorie goes to visit uh, Joffrey, and we've got kind of a wasteful shot of her walking to a, to a place. I don't know why they insert that, but anyways, um, Joffrey tells Marjorie that he is headed on a hunting trip and asks if she need a, needs anything before he goes. He tries to make awkward small talk, but then uh, starts going after her about being the bedmate or at the bedside of a traitor. You can see the Cersei influence in play. She planted that seed of doubt in, in him a little bit earlier. So uh, Joffrey continues on to question Marjorie as to why they did not have any kids. She tries to kind of deflect this, the, the situation and pushes uh, – he continues to push the issue. Why protect a traitor? 
she he gets really upset that she he thinks that she banged a traitor despite her attempting to explain that this is a family duty. So she kind of jukes and blames his homosexuality and makes herself to be out the victim, which I thought was an interesting move. Yeah. She, and then she she uses the exact same move that the sparrow uses in a later episode with um, Tommen, where she goes and sits at his side and attempts to create that physical proximity that kind of creates intimacy. It's uh, just a supreme, uh, gorgeous manipulation. So mm-hmm. she uh, she explains that he tried – the one time that they attempted to be intimate was after he was drunk and he wanted to do some butt stuff uh, to what Joff says. He was thinking about making homosexuality punishable by death. And you kind of see this tick where Marjorie weighs whether she is going to kind of put her brother in danger but also – she whether she wants to gain power by agreeing with him, she does agree that they uh, that they do need to potentially outlaw homosexuality. So then they begin discussing his crossbow, and this is a line I thought I'd never heard myself say. Doug, she touches his crossbow seductively, <laughs> um, and then she kind of sees that she has him. You can see him turn, and now he's back. All the doubts shrouded, shrugged off, and he's back. He's interested. Well, he's got the new. You don't listen. Yeah. You, you obviously don't read the uh, penthouse letters in those NRA pamphlets. <laughs> I never thought it would happen to me. <laughs> My crossbow. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, they kind of bond over the crossbow. She she plays excited about the crossbow, recognizes his sadism, says that says that she wants to go on hunt with him someday. Uh, now she's giving off that psycho vibe, and he's completely into it. Uh, complete shift in power. He says that he would like to kill someone and. And uh, they both kind of in the scene holding the crossbow together after uh, shooting the boar in the eye, yep. which I think that it's supposed to be the boar that killed um, killed uh, Robert Baratheon. That's what I thought, but who knows yeah. if that's true. Sure. So, so great stuff. Jesus. Here. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a long scene, but you're right. This was a great scene. Um, this just showed her masterful manipulation of the situation. She is a player with a capital P. Um, yes. You're right, because... She deflects all this stuff. She starts to come at him with sexuality, and when that's not going 100% right, she recognizes that he's a cruel sadist and tries to bond with him that way. Um, And yeah, I read it not like she's going along with, do I go along with this anti-gay thing? She was just like, yeah, yeah, sure, you have to do whatever you want to do. Just kind of like, she took a step back to say, okay, I can't react negatively to this. I have to not react or just go in a different direction and i think that's what she did um and um you know it must be so exciting uh do you think i could do it i don't know it was just it was just masterfully done and once again it shows joffrey you're right the influence of his mother just also just being a terrible piece of shit um but yeah the star of the show here is large marge and how she takes care of business yeah it's just incredible she he went in there she went in there she was about to be uh, confronted by one of the worst people in the kingdom and the most powerful. Completely turns it around by recognizing what his weakness is within this scene, uh, because I don't think that she knew before that. And then comes out so far ahead. Uh, it's great, just great. Yeah, I agree, hundred so, percent. Best best scene mm-hmm. in the show. At least, um, I don't know, from a character on character, not like action or whatever. I will say it's the best scene up to this point. Yeah, pretty goddamn great. I think so. And and yeah. once again, it was. It was as long as it needed to be. It was a longer than normal scene, but you needed that. It was the appropriate amount of time to have this ballet of back and forth go on. Right. And this this intrigue. This is the shit that the show doesn't have anymore, like the political intrigue, um, which is so great about this. 
Um, yeah, so, now it's a, just a lot of smashing, it seems like. So. Which is kind of fun, too, in a different way. Um, yeah, exactly. So I'm cool yep. with it. Okay, cool. so at the Dreadfort, uh, which we don't know it's the Dreadfort yet, uh, Theon is being tortured by traditional means and questions about his motivation for taking Winterfell. Uh, they continue to drive giant screws into his feet even after he's answered all their questions. Uh, then the torturers get bored and they leave, and the janitor begins to untie Theon, saying that he was sent by his sister Yara. Yar. And um, he relieves the screw in his foot, but uh, doesn't unchain him, saying that he'll be back tonight while everyone is in Dreamland. So this is, yeah. you know, this is Ramsey. We're meeting him for the first time. We don't know it's him yet. Right. And this is the birth of a maniac and my, one of my least favorite parts of the show for quite a while. Yeah, to uh, think that Ramsey's going to be part of our lives for another... <laughs> oh, God. What are we on? Uh, so that's season... Uh, all of season three going forward, four, five, yep. and six. Wow, four seasons with this guy. Oh, God. Yeah. Podcast right. canceled. Yeah, well, we won't get... <laughs> we'll probably only get through maybe season four. Uh, before right, take the, my own life. Before you take your own life, yes. Um, <laughs> all right. But then the Brian board will take over from there at that yeah. point. <laughs> Can't wait. I've got a dragon. Give me some chips. <laughs> uh, anything to say about this? No, not really. Okay, cool. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm just not a fan of the torture, so I, when I, it's on, I, I just don't watch that closely. Okay. I kind of look away. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're on a walkabout, and Brandon and Co. are wandering north. Rickon is a pain in the ass and goes ahead and runs off on his own. Uh, so Bran sends Summer after him. Jojen comments that Bran can control wargs, and they also talk about Bran's dreams, and now we see in the uh, Three-Eyed Raven, um, Bran, uh, or Jojen said that Bran's a warg, um, but the Three-Eyed Raven is something different. Uh, Jojen seems to know a lot about the Three-Eyed Raven and warging, um, and yeah, he says the Three-Eyed Raven uh, can see the past, the future, and the present over great distances. Meanwhile, Osha and Mira talk shit uh, to each other. Osha mainly giving Mira shit for coddling her brother, but she says, you know, you know, there's no dishonor in protecting those who need to be protected. <sighs> Anything? Yeah, it's, it's kind of an info dump. Um, yep. And I don't know that it was enough time or, or detail for a casual uh, watcher to pick up. And I certainly didn't get it the first time that I watched it. Didn't really know what to make of it. And I don't know that the show has done a good job of conveying uh, how important brand is. So you're just kind of watching the show and you don't know what the, what I mean that this three, I didn't even remember the three eyed Raven after the first time I watched it, this, the series, you know? So yeah. I, I, it's they this stuff is so important in the, in the show and I just don't know that it's presented in an intriguing way or a way that conveys that it's very important. And that's my problem. Even now in season six, uh, we still don't know the full import of yeah. Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven training that he went through. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just so complicated. Uh, unless you really wanted to know it, I don't know how you'd pick up on it from just watching it one time, you know. So... So next we go to the uh, and also you know it's kind of, it is kind of odd because this like it's such a quick transition from Bran just being like this this kid to all of a sudden he is like one of the most important characters in the show after he did that mysterious disappearance for like an entire seasons and mm -hmm. uh, I just wish they I don't know how they could have done it you know I I, I don't want to criticize but I can't think of something better yeah but, but that, I just don't, we do that all the time it's fine I, I give yeah, you a pass yeah true okay you can fair enough it. it's fine. 
So next we go to uh, the Brotherhood Without Banners. They're hanging out with the uh, Hot Pie crew. Uh, introduction of these guys. I, there are a lot of interesting... And this is... Uh, we Actually, we discussed that earlier. So Thoros is apparently encouraging underage drinking. He uh, interrogates the group as to how they escaped Herod Hall because it doesn't make any sense and he's right. And how would they have Castle Steel forged? Um, he kind of like asks them some questions and then lets it go. Doesn't really pursue it, but he also appears kind of half-shit-faced anyway. So uh, Arya attempts to make it as though uh, they fought their way out, but he doesn't buy it. Uh, Arya attempts to step to him, and he disarms her immediately, even though he's half in the bag. Um, after after that it transaction, uh, he kind of just says, you can go ahead and go, which I don't know why he didn't yeah. press the issue. Uh, so at just the wrong moment, some other brothers arrive, and they've got, um, they've got the hound, and they apparently captured him while he was passed out drunk. And the hound recognizes... Uh, that it's, it recognizes Arya, and so now, and then we're kind of left to, to speculate as to what happens. Yep, um, I will say it seems like at some point uh, in TV and film, bars became friendly places. Like I don't know <laughs> if it was like if it was the average person, if the invention of TGI Fridays slowly changed what a bar could be instead of like a dark, dank place full of shady characters. It's like a fun place where people have hang out yeah. and have a good time. Um, but yeah, um, I think it was sort of more apparent that Thoros Amir is a red priest. Um, I think that might have been a little bit too much info in an info dump, but they could mm-hmm. have alluded to it a little bit, so it's not so much of a um, uh, a surprise later. He could have mentioned the Lord of Light or something here, or right. his or his red, and I think he has red chainmail, but it's like almost just like rusted. You're like, okay, I don't can't even really tell it's red. Um, yeah. Or lights a sword on fire like he does all the time in the books. That's true. Yeah. So, do, do we know that the Hound and Arya know each other? Uh, I don't think they. I don't know if they've dis or talked to each other. Kind of like the little. We think we argued about whether Littlefinger oh, and Sansa. Yeah, you know what we do. The Butcher Boy, Micah. Oh yeah, yeah they know really each other. Pissed at yeah. him. So, yep. no, they know. They traveled with each other. They've been in the same location so they definitely recognize each other yeah but whether they know each other or had a conversation i don't know i was just trying to think back to uh the, the of what where they would have known each other and i think the answer is the micah uh the micah incident works so. for me yep okay because she's i mean she's altered her appearance to some extent she's probably grown to some extent uh you know i just don't know i didn't couldn't figure out exactly how we would recognize her right off the bat but she does have a very recognizable shaped head so um so it's I would have came up with, I was thinking like, what would I have done in this situation? I think I would have pretended to have like a sneezing fit and just covered up my face and ran towards the door. Um, yeah. <laughs> instead yeah, of just like staring straight ahead. What about pocket sand? Right in his eyes. <laughs> just rough. Scatter. You and pocket sand. Is that a uh, King of the Hill? <laughs> Is that what that's from? Uh, I think it was on, I think it was on King of the Hill. <laughs> Jesus. You've mentioned that way too many times. That's what, gonna like be two? Three? Yes, two times yeah. is enough. All right. Uh, so moving on, uh, Brienne and Jamie are they come upon a bridge. Jay, uh, Brienne is tentative about crossing it, but decides to go for it anyway. Uh, instead of trying to like walk through the river or swim across, which seemed dumb, uh, Jamie pretends to be tired and starts to do a lot of talking in a crazy ploy to grab Brienne's quote unquote extra sword. Uh, they acknowledge, or Jamie acknowledges that it's strange that some knights have extra swords, and I just think it's dumb <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense but anyway uh he grabs her extra sword and even though he's still chained up um they have a, f- a standoff 
and uh, they fight each other uh, using the Emperor stance from uh, Star Wars Episode Three, where like they're just pointing their swords at, directly at each other. It seemed a little strange. Anyway, after an overlong fight, uh, Brienne casually disarms a weak and shackled Jamie Lannister, and they are both interrupted by the arrival of a group of Bolton soldiers. We know that by their banners, the Flayed Men. Um, and they have the farmer that they saw earlier, that Brienne and Jamie saw earlier, and he sells them and says that he knows Jamie from a tour- tournament he attended at a fray wedding or something. Uh, Jamie attempts to bribe the men, but they say they are loyal and they don't want to lose their heads, and they uh slowly uh walk towards Brian and Jamie to apprehend them and that's where the show ends yeah uh, Jamie's Jamie's being stupid i mean it, this is his best opportunity to live just following Brian and going back with her to um to 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 King's Landing i don't know why he isn't just doing it i mean it seems uh, like the easy way out that's a very out. good point it doesn't make any like we you've you've mentioned that before and i was like well maybe it's just his hubris of not wanting to be held captive by anybody. Um, but you're right. If he just goes along with everything she says, she's not she's not smart enough to have guile. Um, so she's just trying to do exactly what she says she's trying to do, get him back to King's Landing. That's where he wants to go anyway. Yeah, and so why ambush her in like the most obvious place possible? A fucking bridge. Like Everybody has to cross that bridge to get to the other... I mean, everybody in that vicinity, so... Right. I mean, he's just completely setting them up, especially if they're worried about this uh, rando farmer walking along, too, um, which yeah, I, if, I don't if, know how long it would happen. But yeah, if Jamie was concerned yeah. about him, then why wouldn't he be concerned about him now? Instead, he pushes, puts all the blame on Brienne. Right. Uh, when it's part of his fault. Where's all their food? <laughs> Shut up. She has, She can't carry any more food. She's carrying her armor and two fucking swords. Yeah, I guess so. They've got to be hungry. Then the, the last thing I'll say is, you know... He, it seems odd to me uh, where the hierarchy of fighting is here because she was good enough to beat Loras, who we know is a pretty badass, but it, she had some tough sledding, at least initially, against a weakened, shackled, and unarmored Jamie. Uh, seemed kind of silly, but um, wouldn't have been a battle if they was actually their, it reflected their actual strengths, I guess. Whatever. It's I don't care. Like uh, okay. the, the conversations of like who would win in a sword fight, I, I hate all those things. Who gives a shit? I mean, uh, people will say like, well, Ned wasn't, he was more of a general. And if Ned Stark had to fight uh, Jamie Lannister in a real fight, um, he'd get his ass who's, kicked. Like, this who's is just, saying this? Uh, you know, my friends, the Uber nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Your nerd friends who drive Ubers? Yes. <laughs> They're better than the Lyft, uh, the Lyft geeks. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, um, it's weird. Uh, like I said, there's no Vargo Holt in the um, Brave Companion, so um, this group, which I can't remember this guy's name, but I'm sure we're going to get it next episode. It's Locke. Oh, great. Like John mm-hmm. Locke. I'm sure there's some kind of philosophical implications here, which I don't care about either. From um, Lost. Yeah, that's true. And that was yeah. a great show. Uh, um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to Jamie getting his hand cut off. That seems like it's going to be good. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know. Nothing. Nothing much else to say about this scene or, or uh, you know, the episode besides wrapping it up. Yeah, it's a good episode. Good app. Good app. Yeah, you're right. Uh, looking on back on it, it was better than normal. I I will say that that um that scene with Joffrey and Marjorie was uh, exceptional. Um, yes. But just yeah, some dead parts with the um, 
God, the Shea and Tyrion. I, I feel like they just had to meet their Tyrion quota, and they thought the best yeah. way to do that was to include Shea, which I would have oh. liked. I would have just, I guess, liked Bronn talking about ha- banging chicks or something would have been a little bit better um, or more entertaining because that scene was awful. Anything. Paint drying. I'll take it. Do we have any Danny this episode? I don't think we did. No, we did not. Oh, that's nice. No, so I'm going to give no that. Tywin? Oh, well. I'm still going to give it. Okay, so instead of 2.5, I'll give it a 3.0 uh, because of no Danny. Uh, I'll give it a Cuban sandwich. Ooh, toasted. Did I, did I use that before? I'm not sure. I don't yeah, think no. you have. That's toasted. What are you, what are you Rube? Pressed. No, pressed. Yeah. Oh, well, that's what I meant. That's. Oh. Yeah, what are you going to Quiznos for your Cuban sandwiches? Yeah, unfortunately, I do because I don't live <laughs> anywhere close to Cuba or Florida. So, oh, God, I asked for. Uh, I went into a sandwich shop one time in Boston and asked for, they had a Cuban sandwich. And I go, does that come on Cuba bread? Cuban bread? And the guy goes, I don't know, sir. I've never been to Cuba. And I wanted to punch the motherfucker in the face. <laughs> oh, Boston. Oh, you racist bastards. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but I I hold a Cuban sandwich in high regard, so I'm going to interpret that as a four. Maybe even oh, 4.5. Oh, no, 3.5, actually. Oh, wow. Okay, so what's better than the Cuban yeah. sandwich? Uh, t- the start cheesesteaks. Ooh, chicken or uh, steak? Both. Okay. In a combination? Meatball sub. Meatball chicken sub? figure sub. Oh, meatball subs are kind of uh, low-rent garbage. They're kind of like the hot dogs of uh, sandwiches. No, if you're getting like a Subway one, yeah, but you get real meatballs. Where do you get meatballs where they're putting them in between bread? I don't know. My house. Okay, there you go. All right, moving on. Uh, God help me if I'm making homemade meatball sandwiches. <laughs> meatball Jesus sandwiches. Yep. Okay, right. so uh, that's it for this episode. We promise to bring more energy and life into the next episode. Uh, like I said, uh, pretty rough weekend. Uh, just trying to get this done. Uh, so once again, not all the podcasts will be of high quality, but we will promise you they will come out on time on Tuesdays. So. If there's nothing else uh, for Brian, this is Doug saying see you next Tuesday, and bye-bye. Hey, guys.